Hey guys, welcome to episode 75 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we just want to thank you for joining us and for the reviews that were left this past week. All the reviews have been so great and we love hearing feedback from you guys. Especially when it's super positive, it just makes us know that we're doing our job right. (laughs) The positive ones are definitely better than the negative ones. Well, it's true. But you know, it it is. It's really good. It's good to... It's really been on the upswing lately. Yeah, it has. And it's good to like know if, you know, that we're doing something right, so... Yes. And we just want to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to the podcast and leave a review for us on whatever platform you listen to, it could be iTunes or it could be Stitcher. And if you are interested in hearing more of us, you could join our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash couple for one extra episode a month if you're a donator of one to two dollars and two extra episodes a month if you donate five dollars or over and you get a free sticker. I think I covered everything. Oh, and you get ad-free episodes. If yes, you don't donate. forget the ad-free episodes. I yes. wasn't going to cut you off there, but yeah. No, you can cut me off because I always cut you off. That's so okay. I... <laughs> it's quite all right. Okay, so are you ready to get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Whenever we see stories about a cult, it's easy for us to say that that would never be me, or I would never let a group of people or one person hold that much control over my life. It's easy to say that because we're on the outside of the story, but this is never how it happens. Dr. Stanley H. Kath, a psychoanalyst from Tufts University of Medicine, defined a cult as a group of people joined together by a common ideological system fostered by a charismatic leader where the expectation is that they can transcend the imperfections of life. Because researchers and clinicians have been studying defected members of cult societies, we are just beginning to understand the psychology of the cult and how they hold the loyalty of old members while still attracting new ones. These charismatic cult leaders identify a weakness that we may have in our personalities or a longing that exists in our lives. They latch on to that, offering onto us the self-esteem we never had, power or love that we've never felt, or the family that we've never got to experience. It is after you have been given those things that the leader or the group begins to require sacrifices of you. All of their vulnerabilities were exploited for the building of the group. People are usually willing to put up with these sacrifices in order to continue the things or feelings they saw after. And just like that, a very bizarre way of living becomes a person's new normal. So now I say a new normal because the around 2,500 cults that exist currently in the United States, and these are just kind of like the big ones that are accounted for, they're not all negative or damaging on the psyche, as the members are allowed to come and go as they please. But others, the ones that exploit vulnerabilities, as mentioned before, and do not let their members leave, can have a very serious and long-term effect on the members that are able to break free, especially the children, as that is the only life they know. Those effects include, but are not limited to, depression, guilt, fear, paranoia, slow speech, rigid facial expressions and body posture, passivity, and indifference to physical appearance. In today's case, we're going to be covering one of those malevolent cults, the kind that did prey on the weakness of its members. But this group was horrifying in the fact that one of its main goals was to populate its religious movement by bringing as many children into the world as possible. But what happens when one of those children doesn't belong, according to their leader? Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another. 
are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Antoinetta McCoy grew up in the housing projects of Washington, D.C. Her and her two sisters, with whom she was very close with, were raised by their mother in a small apartment. Netta, as her family called her, was very different from the people that she grew up around. She was described by her family as being deeply religious at a really early age. And when she was comfortable, she had a big, beautiful smile and a great personality. But those features weren't shown much because Netta was a really shy person and she kept to herself. She also didn't like getting involved in the activities that were going on in the projects around her. So because she was a person who wasn't into like swearing or being involved in illegal activities, it was kind of limited the interactions that she could have in her environment. So she spent most of her time inside her apartment with her mother. Yeah, which I kind of feel is normal for some. I mean, not everyone wants to get involved in that kind of lifestyle. And it's unfortunate that sometimes they're people that are just subjected to it. So the fact that she's doing everything in her power to stay at home and be away from it, I mean, hey, more power to you. That's hard. Right. And I don't want it to come off as her thinking that she's better than the people that are around her because she didn't feel that way. It was just that it was her personality to be really shy. So she just wasn't kind of into that lifestyle that kind of brought attention to you. Also, it was probably her faith as well that just kind of made her, you know, not want to be involved with that sometimes maybe. You know what I mean? Right. Committing illegal activities. Exactly. So in interviews, her sister said that it was very difficult growing up where they did. You had to develop a hardness about you so people wouldn't mess with you. But Netta didn't have that. The idea of street smarts was not something she had. She spent most of her time at her house choosing to avoid the gangs and the heavy drug trafficking that took place outside of their window. But that also ostracized her her entire life. She didn't want to run with those people, but she didn't want to be alone all the time either. So it was pretty hard being Netta growing up. The one thing she took solace in was scripture. She spent her time reading the Bible in her room. She was a very devout person. When she was in her late teens, she received news from a gynecologist that she would be unable to have children. So this news was really hard to take because she'd always dreamed of meeting a man that was just as religious as she was, them getting married, and then starting a beautiful family. So just all at once, she felt like the sense of belonging that she would feel later on in life or the purpose that she felt her life was for like having children was taken away from her. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, first of all, <clears throat> that's hard to hear at any age. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, you know, obviously you're a woman. That's something that you always want, you know, most, most women want to have children. Um, but more so I think is that now that she knows this, I almost feel like in the back of my mind, if I was in her shoes would be the shifting of focus as to where that she, you know, where, like what she needs to accomplish. Cause now things can kind of, you know, go south. So right. I feel like she'll direct her energy to something else other than the normal path that most women would go on, you know, to have children and a family and all this other stuff, if that makes sense. Right. Like she would say, okay, I'm going to do something else with my life. If my purpose is no longer becoming a biological mother, maybe something else can take place. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Like it, yeah. it's just a shift in focus. I couldn't imagine hearing that, especially at such a young age where, you know, you do have these kind of like false senses of what the rest of your life is going to be, whether you're in your early teens or you're in your late teens. Because I remember being a child and just saying like, oh, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to have a house and like three kids. And, you know, you don't have this like sense of reality like you do when you're older and like real life is kind of present. 
so it's, it's also it's hard really, to hear. Yeah, of course. And really quickly, just to add on that, because I just think it's funny. Um, it's so odd how girls, women, they have that in their mind, yeah. and just boys and men just do not. Like I never, <laughs> I never thought that. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my own apartment and party and like play you know, video games, play games with my friends, <laughs> and just like have a great time. Like for for guys, it's so different. I just find it funny. There's a all. huge difference yeah. between males and females. Totally, clearly, totally. <laughs> so what Netta's gonna do is she's gonna turn to religion and she is going to pray that she still can meet the right man for her and that maybe he would accept the fact that she can't have children, but they would find a way to build a family a different way. You know, there's always other options. So this leads us to the summer of 2010, when Netta is 26 years old. So her shyness had made things really difficult to find a boyfriend. So she lives at home with her mother, still in the same apartment in Washington, D.C., because you have to think the men that surround her are not the kind of men that are going to be like, um, and not saying that people that are involved in illegal activity cannot be extremely religious, but she wants someone who's walking like the straight and narrow path. And it seems like the people around her kind of aren't doing so. So, and the fact that she doesn't really leave the apartment too much except to go to church, it's a little difficult to date. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's slim pickings as it is. Put other, um, you know, put other things in the mix. It becomes an impossible task. So. Right. And, you know, with 2010 coming into play, we have the beginning of social media. I mean, social media has existed before, but kind of like the beginning of the 2010s is where it's going to kind of really kick off and you're going to have massive social media presences and also online dating. So that is the world that Netta is kind of growing into at 26 years old. And she joins Facebook. And when she joins Facebook, she gets receives a friend request from someone that she knew back in high school and middle school. And this is a man named Peter Moses Jr., Moses had been a few years older than Netta in high school, but she had always had a crush on him. The two had been flirty with each other as they had similar values and mutual attraction. However, Netta's mother was not the biggest fan of the older boy, so nothing had really ever come of their flirtations. But now it had been 12 years since Moses had graduated from high school, and Netta had found herself again drawn to the man. He was now a preacher in North Carolina who also had an online congregation. He had thousands of subscribers to his YouTube channel. And those who listened to him seemed to love him. So Netta was pretty impressed. I mean, this kind of sounds like her perfect guy. Yeah, I mean, it does, right? He definitely checks all the boxes that it seems like she's looking for. And this is like when YouTube was... um, People were starting to become YouTube famous. Yeah, the YouTube success. Yeah, and I think that... There was, in the beginning years of YouTube, a lot of people who used the platform to speak about their religious beliefs, and he was definitely one who did so. So Moses began to show Netta a lot of attention online, which is something that she really enjoyed because here is this guy who's kind of famous in the online world in 2010, and he's showing her attention. So Netta is someone who felt like she never really received any attention. And now online, it looked like she was getting a lot. So they would talk all the time on Facebook Messenger and on the phone. And it seemed as if they had the same views on religion. 
She told her family it was so nice to talk to someone about these things because she felt she always had to keep her deep religious feelings to herself. The two had been having a long-distance relationship for a few months when Moses is going to ask her to go on a long romantic weekend with him. Moses invited her to visit a cabin in the woods of North Carolina, and she agreed to go. While there, the connection between the two of them is fortified. They have an amazing time sharing their views and reading scripture to each other. Netta, at this point, is in love with Peter Moses. Moses convinces her to move permanently to Durham, North Carolina, to live with him in August of 2010. Now, although the couple is in their mid to late 20s, Netta's mother told her daughter that she felt she was moving just a little too fast. In just a couple of months, the two had started their relationship. They went on one trip, and now she's making plans to move 250 miles away. I mean, you know, for some, it doesn't take... I mean, look, for some, it doesn't take long. For some, it's instant, you know? I don't know. It's hard to say because everyone's different, um, but that's just something that that person needs to experience. That is true. I think that Netta's mother's fear was that Netta had kind of lived a little bit of a sheltered life. So, and her connection and her comfort zone had always been her family and the one church that she had attended her entire life. So now you're going to take those two things completely out of her life and she's moving in with with a new guy whom she'd only been in a relationship with for a few months. Now, being in a relationship and moving in together... There's a little, there's stresses there, right? Because you're getting to know somebody. And her mother was just a little concerned because it's not like she'd be able to just, oh, I'm frustrated. I'm going to go to my mom's house. No, you're 100% right. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, they need to experience that. And it's just kind of a, um, I guess like a, a lear- just it's just a learning experience. I mean, it, totally. it, you can go and experience it. And if it turns out to be really bad, well, then it's just bad and you get the hell out of there. Right. Know? And at this point, she's 26 years old. So she's I think she's definitely ready for that experience. And she's an adult. You know what I mean? So despite her mother's apprehensions, Netta is excited to start fresh somewhere else. It was hard for her to leave her family, but not D.C. because she never felt like she truly belonged there. Moses came to pick up Netta from her house, and the two drove down together to North Carolina. When Netta gets there, she's impressed by the large house that they pull up to. Netta collected her bags and walked up the front steps onto what was a porch. There she found a lot of pairs of shoes. Many of them were women's shoes, and then there were a lot of children's shoes. She asked Moses whose they were, and he informed her of something that he had failed to mention when he extended the invitation for her to live with him. He actually shared the house with many of his aunts and their children, his cousins. So he assured her that he was just temporarily helping his family members out and that they would be moving soon. Appreciating his kindness, Netta told him that she was more than okay with that. See, I think at this point, this is your first red flag. Yeah. If I was her, this would be something that I would not, I mean, I would say what she, you know, I would say, yeah, okay, I'm okay with it, but it would be a red flag that would pop up, you know, and I know it's hard to be in someone else's shoes, but that is something that would be on my mind. That's number one. And number two would be, there are so many people in this house. How are they going to have a relationship? You know, like, how are they actually going to, like, like... Have time to themselves. Yeah, and get to know each each other. other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when she gets into the house, she realizes that... He was really underplaying the whole situation because in reality, the house is overrun with women and children. There's five other aunts living in the house and nine children. It's a lot. Yeah. And this is, um, 
That's definitely a lot. This is um a five bedroom house with three bathrooms. So it's definitely a big house, but there's a lot of people in there. She immediately fell in love with the children, though. She was excited to share the house with so many babies. So she goes up to the master bedroom and begins unpacking her things. However, one of Moses's aunts walked in and let her know that she would not be staying there because it would be improper for the two of them to share a bed as they were not married yet. The woman was a little abrasive, Netta recounts to her family when she told them later about the incident in a phone call, but Moses made her feel better by saying that it wouldn't be long and she knew that it was the right thing to do. So she's happy about this because it sounded like Moses was prepared to propose soon and at the end of the day, she did want to not have sex with him until they got married, so she felt like this would remove the temptation a little bit. The only other downside is that she would have to share a room with Moses's two other aunts. So there's not going to be three people in one bedroom. It's a little bit of a tight fit. I'm, I'm getting this weird feeling that these people are just not his aunts. Oh, are you? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand large families, but I don't think that many people have aunts, like nine aunts. It's kind of weird. Yes, well, five aunts, nine kids. I apologize. It is a lot, though. But that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, unless you have a really big family, but still. To all live together is Where's your uncles? Strange. Where are your uncles? Where yeah, they're your all other family? not married. It's just a little bizarre. Where, the rest, where is the rest of your family? <laughs> but okay. Well, the room was super cramped, and this certainly wasn't what she agreed to when she agreed to move to Durham. So later on in the night, Moses calls everyone in the living room for a sermon. As he begins to talk, she hears a new message, one that she had not heard before from him. Instead of being filled with God's love, as she was used to, Moses begins talking about scripture, and this message is one from a wrathful God. Through his sermon, Moses' true feelings about religion are revealed. He belonged to a religious movement known as the Black Hebrew Israelites. Now, I just want to preface this all by saying that this is an extremely controversial group. There have been many acts of violence committed in the United States by those who associate themselves with the Black Hebrew Israelites. The group, which there are many factions of, um, greatly differ in their beliefs and viewpoints. Many of the groups deny any responsibility for the actions of those individuals um, that have committed violence, and they say that they do not condone the violence whatsoever. So to be clear, there are tens of thousands of different groups in the United States that associate themselves with the movement known as the Black Hebrew Israelites. And as of 2019, the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center have identified 144 Black Hebrew Israelite organizations as Black separatist hate groups due to their anti-Semitic and anti-white beliefs. So... Basically, what they're saying is out of the tens of thousands of groups, they have identified 144 of them as being extremists. Right. And also, just to point out, I mean, every religion has extremist groups. Right. Um, The Black Hebrew Israelites are really going to um, adhere to Jewish and Christian law. So it would really be like associating it with like Christianity and the Klan. So, like, just within people that have these religious beliefs, there is going to be an extremist group, right? Right, right. Well, Moses' beliefs mirrored those of the hate groups, okay? So, we are talking about a extremist group within the Black Hebrew Israelite religious movement. So, I'm going to explain what Peter Moses' interpretation of the Bible is that he preached to 
the cult that he established. Um, We know what his beliefs were because he did release hundreds of videos on YouTube discussing how he felt and himself reading and interpreting scripture. Now, these videos have since been taken down, but we have found news clippings of people describing what it was, and there have been like little clips that have been released to the public. So Moses believed that Africans and other minority groups, including West Indian people and Native Americans, were descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel and that the world's current Jewish population were imposters denying them the rightful claim as God's children and the superior race. Moses believed that the white race deserved death and slavery. Again, this is not the belief of every black Hebrew Israelite, and in a risk assessment, the FBI concluded that the majority of the black Hebrew Israelites are not dangerous or violent. However, fringe groups do exist that have beliefs that share a striking resemblance to that of white supremacists. Violence is unlikely. However, there has been violence carried out in the name of these fringe groups. Some of it has happened very recently. So I'm just going to give you two examples of stuff that happened in December of 2019. But violence from members like specific groups of the black Hebrew Israelites has been reported since the 1970s. But these are two things that just happened in December. On December 10th of 2019, two people who believed in the black Hebrew Israelite message were killed in a shootout with police after a tragic attack. This actually happened in Jersey City, which is really close to where we live. And I remember it being all over the news and it really affected schools because this was a pretty violent event that happened and some schools had to be in lockdown till like 5 p.m. until the event could get cleared up, which really affected northern New Jersey. A detective was meeting an informant in a cemetery when he ran the plates of a U-Haul van. Now, this is not normally common practice, but the Jersey City police were looking for a missing U-Haul van that was wanted in connection with the murder of a 34-year-old man. So he ran the plates and realized that this was the van that they were looking for. He approached the van and was shot and killed by the couple. The couple then fled the scene in the van and drove to a kosher grocery store and opened fire as soon as they got out of their van. The couple was wearing tactical gear. They ran into the store and murdered the owner, a worker, and a customer and injured a second customer. A shootout with police began and lasted one hour. Over this time, two officers were injured. The shootout ended when an armored personnel carrier rammed into the store and the couple was shot. In the van, live pipe bombs were found. And later that month, on December 28th, a man with a machete attacked several Orthodox Jewish people during a Hanukkah celebration in a house in Muncie, New York. That attacker was also associated with the Black Hebrew movement. So these fringe groups, although seem to be very few within a large movement, they are very active and very violent. Yeah, I mean... Just like the white supremacist movement is, but it's definitely fringe groups that it seems like the violence is becoming pretty prevalent. I mean, that's just what happens, and and just religious groups like that sometimes, they they twist things to make it fit. Right, and that is definitely what we see happen with cults as well. Mm -hmm. So that's what Peter Moses is beginning to preach while Netta is sitting in his living room, and she's pretty shocked by this because whenever they had talked over Facebook Messenger or on the phone, or even when they did that long weekend alone, his message was one of love. And now it's becoming one of, of hate. 
It's interesting when you get there and then he just flipped the script, literally. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, knowing all that we know about Nana McCoy so far, you can understand that she was pretty shocked when the man that she loved turned from using uplifting scripture to messages filled with violence and a, a racial supremacy. But Moses was doing more than just preaching a sermon to his new girlfriend, Ants in quotations, and cousins also in quotations. He had a pretty strong online following of about 50,000 people. That is more than us. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. No, definitely. definitely. <laughs> so because she was impressed by this, Netta chose to listen about the racial identity movement that he was talking about. So he stated that Jesus was black and that they were part of the chosen race. And in order to please God, they must follow strict Jewish scripture. Now, Netta did still want her new beginning, so she was willing to listen to what Peter Moses had to say. However, the next night, she was in for an even bigger shock. As they were sitting around the table for dinner, before that night's sermon, Moses made an announcement and a proposal. He told Netta that the women living in the house, sitting around the table with them, were not his aunts. I knew it. Yes. I knew it. They were, in fact, all of his wives. And the children that surrounded them were his own children. He stated that he was taking as many wives and having as many children with them as possible in order to populate and strengthen the Black Hebrew movement. And in the same breath, he told Netta that he wanted her to be his newest wife. He wanted her to join the family. I'm out of there. I'd be booking it right out of there. But like I said in the beginning of the show, it's so easy to say. It's true. It's easy it to say you would go because oh. you've lived a different life than her. See, I knew that. I, I knew right away those weren't his aunts, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. You did call I'm it. I'm like, what the hell? There's just, you know, it's just not possible. But now you have Netta McCoy who really wants to be surrounded by, she's always had this dream of having children. She's unable to have them herself, right? So this is a way for her to interact with children and also belong to a community when she's never really had a sense of community prior to this. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's true. It, it's it. This is giving her everything that she's always yearned for, but um, at the same time, it's it comes with a lot of um, baggage that uh, yeah. she was not prepared for. Right, and I think that because of those things, that made her stay and listen. Right. It wasn't what convinced her. I think it's going to be Peter Moses's manipulations that is what's going to convince her to stay. Oh yeah, definitely. So Netta was confused by this entire revelation. She didn't speak at first, which allowed Moses to continue talking, convincing, and manipulating her. He said that in their religion, being a polygamist family is adhering to God's law. It is imperative that they have as many children as possible to spread the word of God. Netta, although feeling really strange about the situation, didn't want to leave Peter Moses. She's never received attention, especially from a man, and especially from a man in a position of power who had religious beliefs. So she chose to stay. Like I said, it fits a lot of the things she wanted, but I think that ultimately, I think in her mind, she kind of did like a pros to cons thing, but I think she just felt like the pros outweighed the cons. And that's kind of where she went. Right. And yeah. it is new in her experience there. So maybe she's thinking in her head, like, let me try this out. Right. Or if she could have had like um, a conflict within her mind about like her religion, maybe this is the right way. You right. Know, you don't know. You, you know, you're listening to all these people. Well, if he has such a following, 
and he has all these people here. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe I need to, maybe my faith that I've been uh, a part of my whole life is wrong. So, you know, like you never know, like she could have had that moment. Or maybe this is the role that God wants me to play in, it's very in true. my life. Yeah, it could have been. So now Netta was joining Vania Sisk, who was wife number one, LaRonda Smith, who was wife number two, Leveda Harris, who was wife number three, and the fourth wife, 15-year-old Zania Thomas. So she becomes his fifth wife. Peter Moses now had five wives. Um, for a while, his sister did live in the house, so like she really wasn't a wife, but she comes and goes, his sister. It was not easy for Netta to just join this family. She shared with Moses that she felt this was a little immoral, but he just kept her at bay by telling her that this is what God had intended for them. He asked her to stay with them and just try it out. And if she feels like this situation is not for her, then she can leave. But if she likes the situation, that would basically be her accepting his proposal. Netta stayed with the family and really began to enjoy herself. Dr. Kath stated that the cult group will offer the new recruit whatever they seek out. And in Netta's case, it was the building up of her self-esteem and the creation of a sense of community. All of Moses's wives were really kind to Netta. They gave her makeovers and they told her how wonderful she was at watching the children, doing the chores, cooking. And this was something that she loved receiving and she loved spending time with the children. So they truly succeeded in their mission of making Netta feel as if she was a really important member of their family by building up her confidence. So they needed her and they wanted her and she really was taking that in. Peter Moses was also being very manipulative. Um, he was making her feel really loved, kind of making her feel like she was more important than the other wives. So she accepts this proposal and she agrees to become wife number five. The two had a small ceremony in front of the entire family. And now um, none of this was really secret anymore. So Netta's mother and sister did know what was taking place, and they wanted Netta to feel like she was an adult and that she could make her own decisions, but they did let her know that they thought this was really strange and that they were concerned for her. This was also all over Moses' YouTube channel now. In many videos, which have since been taken down, he showed off his family. His wives were shown in the video, and they explained that, like, they were talking about the family situation on these YouTube videos. They said that things were hard at first, but then they got used to it and they all became really close, that they called each other sisters. They split the chores and gave whatever money they earned to Peter Moses. At first, Netta loved her life as a sister, but little by little, things began to change. Uh, Moses made it very clear that women were nothing but possessions owned by men and that they were created by God to serve men, and that is what he expected of his wives. She revealed to her mother in a phone call that all the other wives called Moses Lord, and that this is something that she had not begun to do yet because it seemed strange to her. But it seemed that whenever Netta seemed to back away a little bit, he is going to show her extra attention, and at the end of the day, Netta puts up with these oddities because she's keeping her own secret from Moses. Now, remember, his goal is to populate his religious movement. So all of his wives, um, they actually have to sleep with him on a rotating schedule every night. And he wanted each of his wives to get pregnant once a year. And really, for the most part, this is what had happened. Because of those um, nine children, eight of them are his. 
Wow. So he does have a lot of children. His wives are pregnant all the time. But the only person who wasn't getting pregnant was Netta because she had not told Moses about her infertility. And after a while, like as time went on, she was too scared to do so. Well, that's pretty wild. So she actually held back something as well. It was pretty important. I mean... Yeah, well, I think she thought in the beginning that like, hey, this guy loves me. So it's not really about that. Like he's into me for my religious beliefs and for what I can contribute to the household and what I can do. And then I think as she stayed and she realized that like his only need for these women was for them to get pregnant, then she was too scared to say anything. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? You also have to remember too, they didn't even have enough time to even talk deep. No. Like like, like you said earlier, like that was pretty short. The mother was right in a sense because they didn't even have the proper amount of time to get to know each other. Like they just did scripture stuff and you know, right. that stuff. They didn't get into the nitty gritty of each, each of their lives. So they're, you know... I actually don't even like, hold hey, anything against her. Like, what's your five-year plan? Like, yeah, exactly. starting like, a cult and a race war. Like, that like, would have been useful information. Yeah, like, he held back a lot. So I don't even care that she held this back from him at all. Like, I don't even care about that. Like, you know what no, I mean? No, like, she's done nothing she's wrong. She's done nothing wrong. And so. at this point, she's she's terrified of him. Yeah. So it's not just the love of Moses that began to change. It was the entire atmosphere of the house. Netta loved her role as caretaker to the children. She loved playing with them and teaching them. Because of her kind heart and knowing what it was like to be different, Netta found herself drawn to four-year-old Jaden Higginbotham. Jaden was different from the other children because he wasn't the son of Peter Moses. He was Vania's, Moses' first wife's son from a previous marriage. But it was not just this fact that ostracized the young boy. Jaden's father had left his mother after he had come out as being gay. Peter Moses believed that homosexuality was a sin and that Jaden must suffer for the sins of his father, and he believed that Jaden would eventually be gay himself. And a part of Peter's message in scripture was very negative towards people that were gay. So because of this, Jaden was blamed for a lot of things in the house that were not his fault, and he suffered a lot of abuse at the hands of Peter Moses. But it was Netta that chose to protect Jaden more than his own mother did. So she really became the boy's protector. Yeah, it's pretty sad. That's horrific. I mean, the boy's four years old. Um, His age does come into question. There are... Now, this whole event, the events that we are going to talk about, are going to span over one year. So some newspapers are going to report that he's four, some five, some six. So he is between the ages of four and six. Because of this, the um, natural jealousy that comes with having five wives, um, the women begin to turn on one another. Now, there's especially going to be a lot of tension with Vanya and Netta because Netta is very protective of Jaden. And Vanya is Peter Moses's first wife. So she has this kind of superiority within the group. But at the same time, because her son is so hated by Peter Moses, she has to, in order to keep her place as the number one wife, be horrible to her son. So this is going to cause a lot of tensions between Netta and Vania. Well, of course, I mean, the, the dynamic in this household is, first of all, insane. Yeah. It's insane. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure, like, even though this Jaden is the one that gets all the abuse, I'm sure the other kids find it. Oh, yes. he Well, he abuses all of the children, yeah. but Jaden is the one who gets most of the um, yeah. wrath. It's just kind of weird. Like, I'm sure, like, growing up in that environment just is not healthy at all. No. 
No. So on top of having hours of praying and cleaning to do, um, the women also are competing for the affection of Moses. And this was usually gained by telling on others and making yourself look the most devout. But it seemed like whatever the wives tried to do, Vania was always the highest ranking wife. As, of course, she was the first. This did become really frustrating to the other wives. So as time goes on, Moses' beliefs become more and more bizarre and militant. He put up a video explaining that UFOs are actually vessels carrying angels and that when Jesus comes back, he's going to do so on a UFO with the angels. And when this happens, he's going to destroy the United States within 60 minutes. It's a very specific belief. I think he might be watching too much uh, Ancient Aliens on History Channel. (laughs) I think this is too crazy for even Ancient Aliens, to be honest with you. You might be right. (laughs) The only people who will survive will be those who strictly follow scripture and interpret it the proper way and are the pure and superior race. So his preachings also become more racist and violent. He stated that all other races should be despised and that a race war must begin soon. And if it wasn't started, he was to begin one. That's 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 um that's a big threat there. Yeah. It's pretty violent. Yeah. So Netta, now 27 years old, no longer saw the man that she had once fallen in love with. Not only was he changing in his religious beliefs, but in his relationships as well. He no longer wasted time pretending that he was sweet and caring. He was becoming more strict with the children and demanding that the wives be there for his growing sexual needs, which were becoming more and more twisted. He now forced the wives to participate in threesomes and have sex with each other as he watched. So this is going to cause a lot more tension in the household. Think about it. They're already... I don't want to use the word jealous because I I don't think... I think they're being put in a situation to be pitted against each other. And now you're making them have sex with each other. Like, this is a pretty, um, very dark feelings. He he has, this guy is unbelievable because I don't want to sound a little rough around the edges, but I just, this is the only way to explain him. This is when I get nervous when John says this, uh, because I'm like, oh my God, we're going to have to edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) No, all right. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a little rough around the edges, but I have to say this. He has been able to subject this, these women and these kids to horrible, horrible things, right? He has successfully become a well. He's a, a prophet, cult leader. He says a, a, a cult leader. He has become a, for lack of a better term, a pimp. Yeah. Um. I mean, these women well, are making really, money because well, they're yeah, not having sex with other people. I understand that, but literally, he is they, like they're making fulfilling them work. all of his sexual needs. True, and then on and top of twisted. that, on top of that, he's gaining. He's taking their money from them. Yes. Okay. There are so many he, so many things that he has been able to do. It's like I don't even understand. Well, I think these women are are desperate for their for their own reasons for um, attention and the seeking of family life or community. But what he has that many cult leaders use is religion. The fear of God has quite literally been put in these women right because they believe that if they are not following what he is saying that they're going to suffer the wrath of god and by the way when i say i don't understand i don't mean i don't understand why the women are staying i'm saying i don't understand how he could do that like i just want to make that clear i understand why the women are the way they are right now i'm saying i don't understand how he can like just subject people to that and, and be okay with that in his mind well, That's he's what I'm totally to get a narcissistic personality, which um, Dr. Kath is going to say that most 
charismatic cult leaders do. They have narcissistic tendencies and he truly does believe that he is this like all powerful being and that these women do exist solely to be his possessions. It's un- it's unbelievable. Even his thought process is so corrupt. It's just un- unreal. It's sick. It totally is. So at this point in October of 2010, Netta is trying to avoid having sex with him at all. Moses became more and more frustrated with her, first because he couldn't get her pregnant, and next because she wouldn't have sex with him. Now, we know that she's avoiding having sex with him, not because she just doesn't, like, she's not trying to disobey him, but she's figuring in her head, if I don't have sex with him, he won't expect me to be pregnant. Right, she's definitely avoiding him. Yeah. Yeah. So one night after she had denied him sex again, Moses attacked her. He locked her in his bedroom with him and raped her. The sexual assault was violent. He had punched her in her face several times, knocking her teeth loose. Once he felt as if he was done, he pulled out a gun and pointed it to her head. He pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. It doesn't go off. It saved her life. He put the gun away and claimed that God had a plan for her to live because he had prevented the gun from going off. Netta cried herself to sleep that night, and she knew that she had to leave that house. I mean, that's... Oh, my God. Every time, I feel like every, almost every episode, every time we think that the worst is right in front of us, there's always more. Yeah. I just can't believe it. Like, this guy is just... I, horrible. He's a horrible human being. Yes. So the next morning, while the other wives were out working and Moses was taking a shower, she quickly packed a bag and ran from the house. She made a call to her sister, letting her know that she was headed back to Washington, D.C., and that she needed help. Netta was able to safely get back to her hometown via public transportation. However, when she gets back to her mother's apartment, she refused to at first speak about what had really happened under Peter Moses's roof. Netta, that Sunday in her childhood church where she had felt she truly belonged in D.C., she chose to get up and testify during the service. It was then speaking to the congregation that she had told everyone what had taken place while she was living with Peter Moses as his fifth wife. She thanked God for allowing her to escape and staying with her through it all. After the service, her mother wanted her to report what had taken place, but she refused to do so. Although it seemed that on the outside, Netta would never go back to Peter Moses, on the inside, she was struggling. It's really hard for members of a cult to leave. That's their new normal. That's their life. They've become brainwashed. Yeah, it's true. It's really sad. So this is for two reasons. First, because, you know, Moses put it in her mind that what she had done by running away was betraying God. She was going up against what he had preached, and she feared the wrath of God because he was so passionate when he spoke about it. Moses also had... Um, successfully made Netta believe that she was not a victim through his powers of manipulation and course of control. She was really vulnerable to him still. So within days, Moses started calling Netta. He was back to being the charming person that she had fallen in love with. He told her that he would not hurt her ever, ever again, and that if she came back, she would be his number one wife, not Vanya. He also said that he would start treating the children better, especially Jaden. Netta tried to stay strong against the manipulations of Moses, and that's when his tactics changed. He told her that if she did not return, that he would harm her family. Netta knew more than anyone what he was truly capable of, so she believed this threat. 
at this point, especially when someone is so brainwashed and has gone through the process of coercive control, the abuser or the manipulator can say as much as they want about this is what's going to happen to you or this is how you will be treated. They've kind of become passive in what happens to them, but they still care about what happens to their family. So when these people say, I'm going to hurt your family, that's what causes a reaction versus saying, this is what's going to happen to you because they've become resigned to what's going to happen to them. I mean, it makes sense. You know, I mean, it is a form of brainwashing and it's terrible that somebody has to go through that even after they have left. Like her, she's left already. She's out of that situation. And the fact that she can't seem to completely break away is just so sad. Yeah. So not wanting anyone else to get hurt, she gives in. And she agreed to move back in with Peter Moses and his other wives. What she did not know was that Peter Moses had found a way to hurt her without her even being in the house. A few weeks after Netta's departure, Moses' second wife, LaRonda Smith, told him that she had walked in on the children playing. She claimed that Jaden had been touching her sons behind and acting gay while they were playing. Now, this comes to, like, being someone who tells on someone and acting like you're more superior in the movement, right? She's trying to establish herself above Vanya, and in doing so, she becomes the catalyst for, for murder. Moses grew very angry. He told the other wives that he couldn't have a homosexual in his house. I think another factor that contributed to his anger that was in the past, Netta would be the one who kind of protected and stood up for Jaden, but now his protector was gone. So he's going to take out his rage on Jaden first, you know, obviously for his bigotry, and second, because he's angry Netta left. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right. He's, he's kind of, it's kind of like a double thing that he's angry about. After pacing around for several minutes, Moses figured out what he was going to do. He picked up Jaden and brought him into the garage of the house. He brought in speakers and a laptop, and he began loudly playing the Lord's Prayer in Hebrew. He told Jaden to follow along with the YouTube video, and as the boy sat cross-legged on the cement floor, he was shot by Peter Moses execution style in the back of his head. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, this is, oh my God. I mean, the kid's six years old? At at most. At most. I mean, that's that's ridiculous, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm infuriated child. for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm infuri- that's, that's infuriating. Yes. And for the mother to be okay with that? or, or Well, I'm... yeah, wait, so we... <laughs> hold yeah. on. Uh, Get ready for this. Okay. After he killed the boy, he ordered LaRonda and Leveda to clean up the mess that was made and placed the boy in a suitcase that was to be stored in the attic. The two women did so. He then told Vanya, the mother of Jaden, that he wanted to have sex. She did, and then once they were done, um, he told her that they were going to be going to his mother's house where they were going to bury her son's body in the backyard, and she did. She helped him with that. I can't believe this. Yeah. That is unbelievable. What in the world is going this, through for mine? And this is what becomes a little bit controversial here is because, I mean, you do have so much anger for someone as a mother allowing this to happen to their, to your, their child. And also you have sympathy because someone is a victim of the same brainwashing and course of control. But it's like there is just that line where like you can't not be angry. I mean, I feel like at the participation in that. Right, right. I mean, I I feel like I feel like other other things that have gone on, I can understand. 
But like you said, there has to be some sort of line. line where it just clicks with you that this is totally not acceptable. So, like, I just don't know. I don't know what that line is. Like, what what's this lady's limit where she, you know. Well, we're also yeah. not done with that part oh, okay. either. <laughs> all right. So, all of this information is unknown to Netta when Peter Moses and Vania Sisk drive up to Washington, D.C. to bring her back to Durham, North Carolina. Her family did not want her to go, but they they felt powerless. Netta was 27 years old, and she could leave if she wanted to. So they watched helplessly as Moses drove away a second time with their daughter and sister. When they got back to the house, Netta felt a sense of relief which is common in members of a cult who leave and then return. They are coming back to what they perceived as their normal, so it's really easy to revert back to the behavior than it is to readjust back to normal society. It's just easier, you know? When she got back to the house, the first person she wanted to see was Jaden. But when she went to go look for him, she couldn't find him, and no one in the house would tell her where he was. Finally, she's going to ask Vanya, his mother, and she told her that he was off at a babysitter because it wasn't working having him in the house. To Netta, it seemed as if no one really cared where Jaden was. And in the back of her head, although she missed him, she was happy that he was out of the house. In reality, it had been about a month since Jaden was murdered. And the women were upset by what had happened. It turned out that everything Moses had promised Netta was not true. She was not number one in the house, and she was ostracized from the group more than ever at that point. One night, about a week into her return, Netta overheard LaRonda and Leveda discussing how upset they were about what had happened with Jaden and how traumatizing it was cleaning up after he had been murdered. So, well, it's frustrating because LaRonda's the one who, like, started it by saying that he had done that in the playroom. So, that's just frustrating to me, but okay. So without hearing the whole story, Netta jumps up. She knew what Moses was capable of, and she knew that she had kind of not been getting the full story on Jaden, and she knew that something was up. So she realized immediately that she had made a mistake coming back, and she had to get away. So right then, she jumps up in her nightgown, and she runs out of the house and begins screaming for help. She's running to the doors of all of the neighbors, begging for someone to let her in. Now, you need to know that this house is in a really nice development in Durham, North Carolina. And she wants someone to help her, but it's really late. So no one's like quick enough to react and come to the door. Moses is made aware of what Netta was doing quite quickly. So he's going to order his wives to collect her because he knew that if neighbors did come down or come to the door and they saw him bringing her back into the house, that it would become a domestic dispute and the police would be called. But they, he thought like, okay, if my wives go out, people are less likely to call the police. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, he, that was a smart move on his part, but... Almost like he, yeah, he has been it. thinking about <laughs> it. So one neighbor went to their window to see what was happening. Uh, when he got there, he saw that a few women were bringing another woman back into the home on Peachtree Lane and that a man, who was no doubt Peter Moses, was waiting on the front porch. Once she was brought back inside, she was beaten in front of all of the women by Moses. During the beating, it is revealed by Netta that she was unable to bear children. Moses then tells his wives to beat her. They do so until she is unconscious. While she was passed out, Moses made the women join him in a vote to determine the fate of Netta. 
They all voted to end her life after Moses put up his hand. After Netta returned to Durham, her family did not hear from her for three weeks. They called Peter Moses to let him know that they were concerned, and he had told them that she was just busy and that he didn't know why she was not reaching out to them. The next day, they received text messages from Netta saying that she was sorry that she hadn't kept in touch, and she continued carrying on a whole conversation. However, Netta's mother knew right away that she was not talking to her daughter. Because at the end of every message or conversation, Netta would say to her mother, love you, ma. But in the messages that she was receiving, those words were never said. Not even I love you, which was very out of character. So more time passes and they don't hear from Netta. But once Christmas goes by and there's no call, her family decides that it's time to place a missing persons report because now it had been two months. When contacted by police, Moses tells them that he doesn't know where Netta is and that she left. And this is something that, you know, police really couldn't interfere in because, after all, Netta had left that house before and she was an adult. So it was kind of a stalemate there. But on February 28th, 2011, everything changed. A 16-year-old pregnant girl walked into the Durham police station. This is Peter Moses's fourth wife. Zania Thomas. She told a detective that Moses had been physically and sexually abusing them all. She described how he would beat them and the children. The police go to the house to check the story out and arrest Moses. At bare minimum, he had sex with a minor, as Zania was only 15 years old when she got pregnant. Not, she was 14 years old when he welcomed her into the house, so she never had a consensual relationship with him. That's wild. <laughs> So when police go to the house, they ask to see everyone who was listed as being a resident in the house. And according to their records, there's supposed to be nine children, but only eight are present. They ask Vania where her son was, and she gave them the name of a babysitter, which they quickly find out was a lie because the name she gave them was completely fabricated. And no one in the house could explain where the missing Netta McCoy was either. So back at the station, Zania was telling police the awful truth about everything that had taken place in that house of horrors. This, along with the fact that Jaden could not be accounted for, allowed police to obtain a warrant. When the home was searched, traces of blood and a cartridge case was found on the floor. So obviously someone had shot someone in the garage. There was also blood in the upstairs bathroom, along with a bullet found in the wall. In the trash, they found the keepsake baby book. Jaden. When Moses's family, Colt really, was brought in for questioning, the women never turned on Moses. But he quickly turned on them. He admitted what had happened to Jaden, but he tells police that he was not the one who killed Netta McCoy. Moses tells investigators that after they all voted on the fact that Netta should die, he brought her up to the bathroom on the second floor and brought in the computer with speakers where he again blasted the Lord's Prayer. He brought Vanya in the bathroom with him and told her that God wanted them to punish Netta. He gave the woman the same gun that was used to kill her son and instructed her to shoot the woman. She pulled the trigger and shot Antoinette McCoy three times. Three months after their arrest, Sanitation workers and a plumber are called to the backyard of Peter Moses' mother's house 
because the tenant who was living there was complaining of a foul odor in the backyard. He thought that it was a blocked sewage pipe. As they are digging, they find a large plastic bag inside of the remains of a human being. They instantly call police and the body of Netta McCoy is identified. They receive a warrant to dig up the rest of the yard and about 10 feet away from Netta's body, they find Jaden Higginbotham. All physical evidence points directly to Peter Moses and Vania Sisk. Moses and his wives pled guilty to what happened in that house. Vania Sisk was sentenced to at least 30 years in prison after pleading guilty to second-degree murder, first-degree kidnapping, conspiracy to commit murder, as well as being an accessory after the fact in the murder of her son. LaRonda Smith was sentenced to at least 23 years in prison, and the other wives as well as Moses's mother and sister, were sentenced to around 16 years. Some of them got a little bit less, some of them got a little bit more. While Peter Moses himself is going to receive two consecutive life sentences. Did the 16-year-old mother, uh, wife get charged as well? Yeah, 16 years. Wow. That's pretty crazy. I will say this, though. They, uh, they all deserve what they got. I mean, you can't... That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's hard. hard. It's Actually, hard I take to it back. say... I the sixteen year olds, that is really difficult to yeah. to say. I want to say that she most likely is going to get out a little bit earlier, and she's going to spend her time in more of a rehabilitation center most versus likely, a prison. Yeah. yeah, I take it she back. Actually, minor. I I actually don't know what to feel about it because you have two innocent people who have been and one being a child that were murdered. But I understand that like when someone has control over you like that, it could be pretty hard to like make sense of what is being asked the child being killed is just is what just takes the, the cake for me yeah it's just yeah. I, I don't know both of the murders are just it's just incredible atrocious. it's atrocious i mean they're innocent and for them to die like that it's just not right well moving on it's difficult for the mccoy family as they know that their daughter and sister she was only seeking to give and receive love and what she got was torture in court, Moses apologized to the McCoy family after a very emotional statement was made by Netta's mother. Jaden's father is angry about the actions that Moses took, rightfully stating in an interview that he's evil. He basically went to say, like, that man is evil, but then he stopped himself and said, like, you can't even say that because anyone who would ever hurt an innocent child, that's, that's not a man. And I think that's something we could all totally agree with. And the house on Peachtree Lane, in which this all took place in, is is up for sale. I noticed. I'm not going to obviously say like the whole uh, address because I wouldn't want to draw that much attention to it. But I did ask my sister, who's a real estate agent in North Carolina, if it has to be revealed if there was a murder in the house. And she said no, because it's not like a material fact. So you... In the state of North Carolina, you don't have to be told. In most states, you don't because it's not a material fact. She said, unless the um, buyers say specifically, we are looking for a house in which a murder did not take place. And then the real estate agent has to do their due diligence in finding a house that does not involve a murder because then it becomes a material. I would be the first one to say, I want to know if a murder took place. I want to know if anybody died in this house. 
I am obsessed with that stuff. I don't want to live in a house where anybody yeah, got murdered. Every or time I show John a house, like, oh, what do you think of this one? He goes, nope, haunted. haunted. <laughs> okay, we haven't even gone, but all right. I'm sorry. Okay, guys, that is going to conclude episode 75 on the murder of Jaden and Netta, which is, it's just really, it's heartbreaking. And it's sad to see them fall victim to, it is a cult, a a religious extremist cult. And a tyrant. Yeah, it's so sad. But it does seem like justice was definitely done here in this situation. Yep. Okay, guys, we will see you in two weeks for our next episode. But if you do want to hear more of us, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash couple. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.